spirit of the living God, we just thank you right now for your grace, for your anointing, for your teaching, for your enablement. Let this be an encounter today with truth. Let this be an encounter today with your presence. Let this be an encounter with your person. And may we be launched into such a pathway that we will grow from grace to grace, from strength to strength, and that our pathways and our relationship with you and our encounters and our intimacy will become brighter and brighter. We ask you to do that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. We good? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Well, be attentive as if your life and your future and your destiny depended on this word today. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, I'm teaching a subject that I'm entitling this, Four Dimensions of God's Presence. Now, we are not talking about the omnipresence of God. The omnipresence of God is God present everywhere. If you go to hell, he is there. doesn't matter where you go. There's no way you can hide from his presence. But we are not talking about the omnipresence of God that is available to every human being wherever and whenever. But we are talking about the dimension, the four dimensions of God's presence that is available to the believer. Amen? Blessed be the name of the Lord. And as we get a hold of these truths... Um, the application of, of what we're going to get a hold of today regarding these four dimensions of the presence of God is going to cause and is to cause and will cause an open heaven over your life. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There was a particular minister that made a statement and, um, and, and asked some questions. I'm going to borrow from what he said. He said a lot of Christians can't say they are living a life worth living because so many are just existing. Now, this may or may not be you. But how would you like to be able to live the life that Jesus died for us to have, the life that God designed for us to have, how would you like to live a life of answered prayers? A life in which we are experiencing the blessings of the Lord. Say the blessings of the Lord. And joy and peace and anointing. Is it possible? And then if it is, I think a good follow-up question is how desperate are you to experience that and to see whatever change is necessary? Now, quite frankly, in this message today, I am here to proclaim that your life can change and that you can change and that you can experience an open heaven. Now, this is not something that we, are must, we must just talk about. It's got to become experiential, all right? So it's going to take not just saying and talking. It's going to take some doing. It's not the hearers of the word, but it's the doers that are blessed. Now, more specifically, 
it will take applying the truths that I'm going to share from this message here today regarding the four dimensions of God's presence that is available to the believer. I do believe that if you be careful and you be diligent to do the things that I'm going to share, like, you know, listen for what actions you need to take. Like to hear some truth and think, oh, that's nice. But yeah, you got to ask yourself, what actions am I supposed to take? Because as you take those corresponding actions to each of those four dimensions of God's presence, I can promise you by the authority of the throne of God that backs up the truth that you will begin to experience an open heaven over your life. An open heaven, the blessings of the Lord. The, an open heaven, the blessings of the Lord. You say, well, why, why would I call the open heaven over your life the blessings of the Lord? Because if you think about it, where it says in Malachi chapter 3, bring all the tithes in my storehouse, say the Lord. If I will not what? Open the windows of heaven that you might not have room enough to receive it. That I will open up the windows of heaven and I will pour you out blessings. So that open heaven is the blessings of the Lord. And it says, we know in Proverbs 10, 22, that the blessings of the Lord coming out of that open heaven makes you rich and it adds no sorrow with it. Now, are we talking financial? Of course, it includes financial. But it means being rich in every single dimension. As a people, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Well, the reality and the fulfillment and the experience of that means that no matter what area of life we are talking about, the blessings being made manifested is being rich in that area. Amen? Hallelujah. All right. Now, but I'm going to go another step further. And that is, the Holy Spirit. The blessing is not only, is not just the blessings in terms of the silver and the gold and the prosperity and the increase. It is actually the person of the Holy Spirit. Hold that thought and give me some time to, 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 um, to bring you to that conclusion. I'm just giving you that a little bit up front, okay? Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, which we can take as the text for today says, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. When one turns to the Lord, when one comes in alignment with God, in his thinking, in his attitudes, in his actions, quite frankly, in all of his faculties, so that his faculties becomes instruments of righteousness, extensions of God, so that, he, so, that the, so that all of his faculties, his thinking, his believing, his attitudes, his action, all of them are in such an alignment and in harmony with God. When a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. What do you mean the veil is taken away? Every hindrance, every obstacle, every blindness, even self, which is quite an issue, is going to be removed and or overcome. Amen? And then it goes on to say in verse, now the Lord is the Spirit. Old King James says the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, we're talking about the Holy Ghost, there is liberty. There is liberty. 
Freedom indeed. Jesus says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Liberty. Not all these restrictions and limitations. We are in the world, but we are not to be defined by the limitations of those that are in the world. So the Lord is that spirit. And when there is this alignment that takes place with, every, with all of our faculties, the hindrances, the obstacles, the blindness is removed. And the Lord, who is that spirit, will cause liberty to be made manifested. That liberty is the blessings of the open heaven. Amen? Hallelujah. So, what is the blessing? I said it's the Holy Spirit. Well, let's zero in a little bit on that. Galatians chapter 3, and reading from verse 13, says, Christ has redeemed us, has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, curses everyone that hangeth on the tree. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ has redeemed us from the consequences of the fall. The consequences of that separation that took place in the fall. And there are significant consequences. All of, all of these curse activities is because of the fall. Well, Christ has redeemed us from these consequences called the curse, and he did that by becoming a curse for us when he hung upon that tree. What for? So that not only are we redeemed from the curses and the consequences of the fall, but he did it so that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Now, if you stop there, it would sound like the blessings of Abraham that are in Christ Jesus, and it's very easy for us to begin to think that we're talking about prosperity. Which the blessing will produce prosperity, but it is not merely prosperity. The blessings of Abraham, the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. If we were to look at Romans 4 verse 8, you don't need to turn to it. It will say concerning Abraham, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. Blessed is the man having to do with justification. So this blessing of Abraham that is not merely prosperity, it is justification of the life of God, of the very life of Christ. Righteousness is that oneness. It is justification of that life. But let's go a little further. Let's come back to the verse. Christ has redeemed us from the curse, the consequences of the fall, right? Being made a curse for us, for curses everyone that hanged on the tree, that the blessing, the blessing of Abraham, justification of life, might come on the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the blessing. No, no, no. Just listen to what it says. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the blessing is the promise of the Spirit. The blessing is the person of the Holy Ghost. The person of the Holy Ghost, justification of life, that's the life of God that has moved into the inside of us when we get born again. So the blessing of the Lord, the blessing, when he will open up the windows and he says, I will pour out my Spirit, it is the very person of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So the blessing is that person of the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, so 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17, going back to what? The Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of 
The Lord is. There is liberty. But guess, some, guess what? Where the spirit of the Lord is, the Lord is. Where the spirit of the Lord is, is the presence of the spirit of the Lord. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is, that's the presence. So where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The presence is the liberty. The presence is the blessing. The presence is what, is what produces that. And today where are we going? Four dimensions of this presence for the believer. All right. Now, let's understand this, though, because there's a laser focus that we have to have on the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, here is a little mystery, the mystery of the Trinity, so to speak. The Godhead. God is on the throne. God the Father is on the throne. We know that. Jesus is at his right hand. Jesus is also up there. Isn't that right? Ever living to make intercession for us. But the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son, he is here. Say he is here. So God the Father is there. Jesus is there. But the Holy Spirit is here. And the Holy Spirit, get a hold of this. This is part of the mystery of the Trinity, the mystery of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God the Father. Jesus says, the Father that is within me doeth the works. And that was talking about the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Father, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, of the Spirit of God the Father. Now the Holy Spirit is also the Spirit of Christ. If any man does not have the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Ghost. In other words, what are we saying here? We are saying that the Trinity, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are all in the Holy Ghost. That is the reason why Jesus would say in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, For in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So you have you, so, so the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. You have got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all living inside of you through the person of the Holy Spirit. So when we are talking about the presence of God, we are talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as I said, it is the presence of the Lord. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And the liberty is the blessing. The open heaven over your life is the blessing. And here, this presence, there is some applications of the four dimensions of the presence that creates the blessings, that open heaven, that liberty. Amen? And that is why we must not walk out of here with, some, with, with, with merely an intellectual understanding, but we got to walk out of here knowing, well, what can I do? How do I do it? What can I do about each of those four dimensions of the Holy Ghost, so to speak, and the presence? All right? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are the temple of God, does it, is it not? Is it not so? The scripture says you are the temple of God. It also says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you know that you are the body of Christ. Are you with me? You see the mystery of the Godhead? All things, all of that is true, the person of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2 verse 18 says that we have access by one spirit unto the Father. So 
This to study and unveil these four dimensions of the presence of God will mean that we have to focus on the person of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. Are you with me? All right. So here are the four dimensions of God's presence in a nutshell. I'm going to give it to you in summary, and then we'll come back and break it down. This is a good way to make notes, too. Here are the four dimensions of God's presence in a nutshell. But again, let me emphasize this. It's relevant to the believer. It's relevant to the believer. It is not talking about the omnipresence of God. Are you with me? All right. So number one, dimension number one, the presence of God that moves into the spirit of the person that is born again when you accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. Romans 8 verse 9 says, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ is in you. Once you are born again, that spirit of Christ is in you. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. You were born of the water and of the word and of the spirit of God. 1 John 4, 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and greater is he that is where? In you. So we are talking in this first dimension about the indwelling presence of God. Emmanuel, God with us. God in us. Are you with me? That's dimension number one. Dimension number two is the presence of God as a result of what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, after the disciples were born again and everything else, he says, you go wait and tarry in Jerusalem. You wait until you receive power from on high. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And you will be our witnesses. And when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, he'll give you utterance. So the dimension of the presence of God that is as a result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1 verse 8, and that connects very strongly with the anointing, with an element of the anointing that is designed to make you a witness. Jesus said that when this Holy Ghost has come upon you, you're going to be witnesses of me. Now, that being a witness doesn't just mean telling somebody about Jesus. It means being a proof provider that Jesus is alive. So that baptism of the Holy Spirit is important because it empowers you. It enables you. There is an anointing. So let's call that second dimension of the presence of God. Let's call that the presence upon Amen? The first one, we, see, we call it what? The indwelling presence. The second one, we're calling it the presence upon. Amen? And I'm, I'm coming up with these terms as a means to be able to teach and communicate this to you. Are you with me? All right. Number three, the third dimension of the presence of God is as you engage God in the realm of prayer. As you engage God in the realm of prayer. If two or three of you are gathered together in my name, Jesus said, there I am in the midst of them. As you engage God in the realm of prayer, Hebrews chapter 10, reading from verse 18, it says basically, because of the fact that your sins have been remitted and it's been removed as far as the east is from the west, God says, I will remember them no more, Hebrews 10, 18 to 20. And he says, having therefore, because of that, 
having boldness to enter where? Having boldness to enter the holiest. Man, it doesn't get any better than that. That's the presence of God. Having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By a new and a living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil which is to say his flesh. Amen? Now we're going to, again, we're going to come back and amplify this a little bit. So this third dimension is a place of fellowship in the realm of prayer with God in the realm of prayer, because you're coming through the blood, you're coming through what Jesus did in his sacrifice, you're coming in the name of Jesus. But you're not just coming here with a laundry list. You're coming here, and there's a fellowship, there's a communion. Surely, John said, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. There is a fellowship, there's a communion, there's a waiting in his presence, and there, there's a union, and there's a, 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 whole, a whole set of interaction that is that is literally, if you want to call it this, you could say it's practice or it's exercise in this realm of prayer. And that is why I'm calling it the prayer fellowship presence, so to speak. That's number three. And then number four, the, the, number, the fourth dimension of the presence of God is where the glory of God, the very essence of his being, the glory of God, the weighty part of God, the, the, the essence of his being, the very, um, it, it, and of his person that comes upon you. That comes upon you. Comes upon you to the point that, that God clothes you with himself. God clothes you with himself. We're going to look at each of these four and see, well, what is the application? What do I need to do to walk in this? Isaiah 6 and verse 1 and 2 says, Arise, shine, for what? Your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Well, God is light. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen, is risen upon you. The Lord will arise up over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. So, the point of this here, in a nutshell here, is that God comes, it is like coming to such a place in that relationship and in that intimacy where God takes over. Where God just plain take over. Remember, remember how Peter, I'm going to paraphrase this, and even make a little story out of it. Remember after Peter was, um, when Jesus was resurrected and he was, and Peter and decided they're going to go back fishing and everything. And here was Jesus and he was baking fish or whatever the case is. And then they came and then they came and then, and then Jesus had this conversation. Peter, do you love me more than these? Because, you know, and so on and so forth. And then Jesus said something in John chapter 21 and verse 18. He says, most assuredly I say to you, he's talking to Peter, when you were younger... You girded yourself and you walk where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. What is he saying here? He says, Moshe, surely I say to you, when you were younger, Peter, even at this point in your life, when you were younger, when self was so dominant, when you were there, I mean, a little bit of pressure and you deny me. 
You, I mean, you, you can't see me around. You, 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 you become a little bit discouraged, disillusioned. You decide you're going to go back fishing. You just do your own thing. But Peter, there is coming a place when you get older, when you become more mature, it's no longer going to be about you and your will and what you want to do and where you want to go. But you are going to become so yielded and so abandoned to the Holy Ghost that he is going to take you wherever he wants you to go. You are going to become so consumed with my spirit that even your shadow will heal people. So, what are we talking about? We're talking about a place wherein God, the person of the Holy Ghost, takes you over, clothes you with himself. And I'm, I'm looking forward to come back to that because that is the, the center of this whole message, really. But let's back up and see. The first three dimensions are basically, the first three dimensions are primarily based, are primarily gifts. You haven't earned it. It's a gift. And they are based on the corresponding protocol or principles, so to speak. All right? But the first three, the indwelling presence, the presence upon, and the prayer fellowship presence are all gifts. But now, okay, we come back. But the fourth dimension, let me tell you that right now. The fourth dimension, that fourth dimension of the presence is not a gift. It is a reward. It is a reward. The scripture says in Jeremiah 29 verse 30. Now remember, God is, God says, Peter, Peter, you're going to get to this point. Remember, God is saying God wants to clothe you with himself. God is... The, the, the presence of God in this dimension is not cheap. There's a price to be paid. Jeremiah 29 verse 13, God says, You will seek me and you will find me. When? When you search, when you search for me with all of your heart. It's not automatic. It's not a gift. We need to understand sometimes, you know, because of that verse of scripture that says we are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift, not of works, as any man should boast. We take that and we spread it out and we figure it's all, every dimension of grace is a gift and that's not so. Amen? Salvation, being born again, that's a gift. Even the Holy Spirit and through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's a gift. But... There is such a thing as a reward. Think about Hebrews 11 verse 6. They that, this, without faith it is impossible to please God. For they that come to God must what? Believe that he is. And what else? Must believe that he is what? A rewarder. You must believe he is a rewarder. Why? Because he is a rewarder. <laughs> Amen? You're not believe, he's not asking you to believe something that he's not. He's a rewarder of what? Of them that what? Casually wait on him? To those that are just... what? No, to them that diligently seek him. Isaiah 45 and I believe verse 19 says, God says, I did not promise you to serve me without you having an expectation of having a reward for serving me. He says, I did not ask you to serve me in vain. Isaiah 45 verse 19. Check it out in a number of verses. Proverbs 28 verse 20. 
The faithful man will abound in blessings. The faithful man, not, any, not just any believer, but the faithful one will abound in blessings. The Bible even speaks about the day after we are resurrected that we come before the judgment seat of Christ. What for? To receive rewards for the things that we did while we were living here serving God. It even says in 2 Corinthians 1, sorry, 2 Peter 1 verse 10 and 11. It says that you are to be diligent to make your calling and election sure. And if you do that, what will happen? What the reward? There is going to be a broad entrance into the everlasting kingdom of God. Which means you're going to have a wide open door into that sphere of the influence, presence, and power of God. What as a reward for what? That diligence of making your, your election sure. In other words, what I'm saying is there is a reward element to grace. There is a reward element. In fact, even when it comes to the anointing, there is an anointing you have just because you're born again. Right? Every child of God has an, is anointed. Second, Peter, Second Corinthians 1 verse 21, I think it is. But then there is an anointing that has to do with the call of God and the office that you might be in. I'm not anointed. Uh, I'm anointed as a teacher. Not be, okay, of course, yes, I have to study it. But it is because of the very office. Someone else might not have that same anointing because they're not in that office. And then there's anointing that you can have for an assignment that God has. And then there's anointing that could come because of your faithfulness. Well, so it is in this dimension of the presence of God. On this fourth dimension, it is a reward. They that seek me and search for me with all their heart, they are going to find me. Now, so let's, but let's, so let's, 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 let's look at these various dimensions and see how, what is necessary whether it be a gift or a reward, what is necessary for us to walk in it and develop in that corresponding anointing? What is required for you to do? Number one, the indwelling presence, the presence of God. That is as a result of what? The new birth. The moment you believe and you confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. You see, when someone is not born again, they only have the omnipresence available. But they do, in, God will not live on the inside of any vessel. It says you cannot put old wine in new wineskin. So you got to become a new wineskin. That means you got to get born again. But the moment you accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, and you surrender your life to him, and you receive him into your heart, that very instant, Titus 3 verse 5 says, the Holy Ghost does a supernatural divine operation that they call the washing and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, of, by the Spirit of God, and your spirit becomes brand spanking new. A new heart will I put within them. And a new spirit I will give to them. Ezekiel 36, 26, I believe it is. And then what happened? And then God, the Holy Ghost, comes and lives on the inside. As many as receive him, he gives them power to become the children of God. You become the temple of God. And Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, and God says, once I move in, I'm not going to move out. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you even to the ends of the earth. Now that presence is the presence, the indwelling presence for everyone just because you're born again. And that's good. That's good in and of itself. Amen. 
But let me tell you, ask you something. If somebody comes, if you, if you could, you could call, you, because if I come and I live and I move into your house, so now I'm living in your house. I'm in your house. You may not allow me to go to your bedroom. You may not allow me to go in, into certain closets. There are some places in that house I may not have access to. So you could be born again and God is on the inside of you. He's living inside of you, never leave you, never forsake you, but he's restricted to the living room. <laughs> Are you with me? All right? All right. But anyway, that's number one, that, that, that indwelling presence of God. And that's a gift. It's a gift. Say it's a gift. In John 14, 16 and 17, Jesus says, I'm going to pray the Father and he will give you another comforter, the spirit of truth. He dwells with you. But he's going to be where? In you. The presence of God in the believer is what makes you a believer. It's what makes you different to anyone else. It is what makes Christianity unique. If a Christian, if anyone does not have the spirit of God, he's none of his. So it is very important. You know, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. And then it goes on to say, if, in, if Christ is indeed in you, and if he's not, it says you're a reprobate. You're, you're, you're false, you're fake, it's not real. It is the presence of God that lives on the inside of you that makes you a believer. But we got to develop in that consciousness and in that awareness. If you do not develop in the consciousness that God, the Holy Ghost, lives inside of you 24 hours a day, Number one, you're going you're gonna to pray wrong. You're going to be begging God to come with you and go with you rather than acknowledging that he's always with you. you not only that, but you will be carnal. You'll be carnal, not, not seeing, yourself, seeing yourself as a mere man rather than recognize that here you are with your humanity. You've got divinity dwelling on the inside of you. You need to develop that consciousness that God lives inside of me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm a partaker of his divine nature. That's something we've got to develop. And if we don't, what happens? Then we will be like another mere man. Here we have the life of God, but we could be alienated by, from it. So the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 34, Awake to righteousness. Develop that conscious awareness of the oneness that you have with God in Christ. 1 John 5 13, Paul, John is writing to, this, to Christians. And he says, these things I've written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God. These things I've written to you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. Why is he saying that? It is because John obviously taught that even though they believe in the name of the Son of God and they're born again Christians, that they, had, they didn't have that awareness that they have eternal life, that he needed to write them and tell them about it. Are you with me? Now, unfortunately, that is the case for many believers where they don't have that conscious awareness that they have eternal life. That the life of God is in them. That the spirit of God is in them. That they are the temple of the living God. So you must develop in that consciousness. Amen? How do you do that? You do that through prayer. You do that through prayer, through, through, through fasting. You do that by getting a hold of the word of God and feeding on the word of God. And fellowshipping with the spirit of God. Amen? 
The word has enlightening power. The entrance of the word will bring light. The word itself has transforming power. It will transform your thinking. It will wake you up so you don't have to live like a mere man living in the carnality of, your, of humanity and separated in your consciousness from the divinity that dwells on the inside of you. We are partakers of his divine nature. Let me move on from that one. Number two. The, 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 this, the, the, the second dimension, the presence of God that is upon. The presence of God that comes because of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now this is a separate dimension of God's spirit and presence that is apart from the new birth. Referring to the new birth presence in John 4 verse 14 with the woman at the well, Jesus said, the water that I shall give you shall be in you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Amen? That's talking about a new birth. But in John 7, 37 to 39, Jesus said in that day, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink, and out of his belly shall flow rivers, not a fountain, rivers of living water. And this spake he of the spirit which they that believe shall receive. You've got to be a believer before you can be baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost and have that river. It is a promise, this promise of the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the spirit of God being given to the believer in this dimension is only available to the one that is born again. The world cannot receive the Holy Ghost, but they can receive Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is God's gift to the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But when it comes to believers, God says in Luke chapter um, 11 and verse 13, it says, um, it says, let me read it correctly, sorry. So, the, so, Jesus is God's gift to the world, but the Holy Spirit in this dimension of being baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, so to speak, is for the, for the believer, the one that is already born again. So, in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, it says, If you, being evil, know how to give gifts to your children, your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to who? To those who ask him, to his children. Now, when someone is not born again, we might be cute and say we are all children of the world. We are all children of God. That's not so. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44, that ye are of your father the devil. Unless you become born again, only when you are born again, John 1, 8, John 1, 12 says, he gives you power to become the child of God. But once you're a child of God, this scripture says, God says, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to his children if they would ask? So that dimension, uh, that dimension of the Spirit of God, or uh, 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 that presence of God, I call it the presence upon. And the reason I call it that is because of Acts verse 1, verse 8. The Holy Ghost shall come upon you. Amen. Now, this dimension is given primarily so that you can have that power to demonstrate that Jesus is alive. Jesus, for 30 years, lived and walked and studied the word of God, and he was in and out of the temple, but he was not manifesting power until after he went into the wilderness, 
came out of the wilderness and he returned, the scripture says, in Luke 4, verse 14, he returned in the power of the Spirit. And Acts 10, verse 38 says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. And he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. Why was he able to do that? Because of that anointing, because of that power, because of that infilling power, what we and I call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So as a believer, we do need it. Amen? Amen. Without the baptism of the Holy Spirit to, to live in a demonized world, leaving it with the devil, it's like here you are, you shadow box, you are boxing with the devil, but you've got, you're a little bit blind and you're lame in one foot and, you're, and you have all these, 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 these infirmities. It's not a fair fight. So God says, I'm going to make this fair. I'm going to give them the Holy Ghost. Amen? Hallelujah. All right. So, but now this baptism of the Holy Spirit comes with speaking in other tongues. It says in Acts chapter 2 verse 4, and, and that the Holy Ghost gave them utterance. The Holy Ghost gave them utterance. And we see several cases in the book of Acts where they spoke in other tongues as the Holy Ghost gave them utterance. Now, you can maintain, so you have this infilling, you have this Holy Ghost coming upon you. And then what happened is, because of this simple little gift called tongues is a means by which you can pray much in tongues and stay filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I didn't say it's, the Holy, I didn't say it's everything because you can pray in tongues all, all you want, live like the devil, be in strife, be in confusion, be in sin and everything else. Amen. And as quickly as you get filled, you're going to leak. Amen. So don't, don't get me wrong. But nevertheless, speaking in tongues is a means by which you can stay filled. Speaking in tongues, praying in much in tongues, fasting. Paul says, I, Paul says, I speak in tongues more than you all. And he wrote 13 epistles. Ephesians 5 verse 18 says, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Sorry, I'm, I'm, that, was, um, <laughs> that was Jude 20. Building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in other tongues. Ephesians 5 verse 18 says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be being filled with the Spirit. Amen? So, in other words then, you can develop in the consciousness and in the awareness and in the functioning in this second dimension of the Spirit, the presence of God upon you by praying much, praying much in tongues, and, 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 and so on. Now, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, so let's move to the third dimension of, um, of the presence of God. And how do you develop in that realm? How do, you, how do you become established in it? And we're talking here about engaging the presence of God through prayer. Amen? I call it what? The prayer fellowship with God. The prayer fellowship dimension. All right. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 16. This is the covenant God says that I will make with them in that day. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds I will write them. And their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. For where there is remission of these there is no more any offering for sins. So sins are remitted they're removed. They're gone. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter into the holiest 
How? Through the blood, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way that he has consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. On the day when Jesus was crucified and after he died, there was this veil in the temple between the, between the, the um, was between the, before you, so you couldn't go into the holies of holies. And that veil was torn from the top to the bottom. Well, here it says in Hebrews 10 verse 20, that by a new and a living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. Because when Jesus hung upon that cross, when he took the punishment, when he took the judgment, when he took the sin, the sickness, the disease, the curse, and everything else, and he did all of that, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. What he did in his body, it says in Colossians 1 verse 21 and 22, that through his own flesh, that he reconciled us in the body of his flesh through death. So the way is now open. Now, let me just give you a quick little application. I'm, I'll do this by demonstrating these verses. Hebrews 10, 16 to 22. All right, I'm going to do it this way. Let's say here we are. We've, and, and, and you see, these things matter. Because you see, in the realm of prayer, everything works by faith. And in this realm of prayer... You can literally engage the presence of God when you do it right. Now, sometimes all you need to say is, Father, in the name of Jesus, and that's enough. But I've found, especially if you have others with you, to be able to pray something like this. Father, I thank you right now that as here we are, as a body of believers here and for those online, we just come before you. We come in the power and authority of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. Having this consciousness, Lord God, that our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. So that in your presence, Lord, you see us as holy, as blameless, and without spot. And with the knowledge and the consciousness of that, we come boldly that we might obtain whatever grace, whatever mercy, Father. And here we are, having entered through the veil of Jesus' flesh that was stone. And we thank you, Lord, that we've got this access. And so far Father, we just worship you, we praise you, we magnify you, we exalt you, we thank you, Lord God. We can just, we can just envision the blood and the mercy seat speaking in our behalf. Oh, we thank you that Jesus is all at your right hand, ever living to make intercession for us. We've got such a high priest that is passed into the heavens. Father, we worship you, we bless you, we magnify you, we exalt you, Lord. And Father, in this very service today, we are asking that you would manifest your power. We are asking that you would visit people. Lord, wherever someone might be there right now, bowed over in their body, bowed over with some kind of oppression. Let the power of your spirit come and touch them. Let it raise them up, Lord God. The one that is so burdened, the one that is so bent over in the name of Jesus. I just speak right now that there is a lifting up in Jesus' name. Lift up their head, oh Father God. Let the power of the Holy Ghost, let it come upon them. Let the blood remove that sense of shame and condemnation and insecurity. And you could pray like that. But, but, but what, before you even go there, what happened? You enter into that presence and there's a literal engaging with the presence, with the person of God, with, with the presence of God in the realm of prayer. Are you with me? All right. Amen. So, now how do you develop in this one, do you think? By praying. <laughs> All right? So you develop this dimension of the prayer fellowship presence with the person of the Holy Spirit by making prayers, by, by, by praying. And, um, and also, to let me say this. Here we are, because we're talking about development. 
It is a gift, but we're talking about development. Development takes exercise. Development takes practice. So we are not just talking about prayer as a key to accomplish this or that. We were talking about prayer as a lifestyle. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, men ought always to pray and not faint. Just to dissect that verse, men ought, men ought, men ought. In other words, then it is a requirement. Always to pray. It's not just some, a key. It's supposed to do it all the time. And not faint. In other words, if you don't pray, you're going to faint. Jesus said, Peter, when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, your, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Watch and pray. They couldn't. And then guess what happened? Peter fell into temptation. And he denied Christ. What is the point? The point is when you don't pray, you don't develop this prayer life, you don't develop that element of that particular presence, then you're, then you're, you're, you're weak and the flesh can take over. Are you with me? All right. So, you are to cultivate now each of these three dimensions of God's presence by doing what? By, t- by doing the corresponding protocol. If we're talking about indwelling presence, develop that consciousness. If we're talking about the presence of the Lord, the Spirit of God upon you, pray much in tongues and fast. If we're talking about, uh, about this, this, this dimension of, of this prayer fellowship presence, then you got to spend time in prayer on purpose, all right? All right, okay. Now, the fourth dimension of God, of God's presence, the takeover presence of God. Say the takeover presence of God. Now, really, we're talking about what they call the Shekinah glory, but I'll come back to that. The objective here is to come into a place where you are so consumed with the life of Christ, so consumed with the life of Christ and the Spirit of God, that you literally get lost. So that you are, no, 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 okay, okay. Let me, let me give this verse first. You know how it says in John chapter 6, verse 53, where Jesus says, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have my life. What was he saying? Literally drink his blood? Literally eat his flesh? No. He was talking about becoming so consumed with him. So consumed with him. So that your life is hid with Christ and God. So consumed with him. All right. Now listen, 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 to, listen to this for a moment. You are to be, God wants you to become so, I didn't say we are there yet, but we're pressing for this mark. God wants you to become so consumed with Christ. So that it is Christ. It is no longer you, but it's Christ that is living in you and living through you. You become so consumed with Christ. Now, hear this statement. I'm saying it carefully. You are not Christ. But it would be almost as if you were. As he is, so are you in this world. It would be almost as if you were Christ. Now, listen to this for a moment. Jesus said in John 14, verse 9, If you see me, you see the Father. Did he say that? Moses was so much an expression of God. You talk about being so consumed with the Spirit of God, so consumed with Christ, that you become that expression of God. Moses was such an expression of God that it says in Exodus chapter 7, verse 1, God said, I have made you, that's Moses, I've made thee a God to Pharaoh. 
Paul, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Samuel, who began to follow God from a very early age, he began to hear the voice of God and recognize the voice of God. And so Samuel was so much an expression of God that the scripture says, none of his words fall to the ground. Think about that, man. <laughs> now, listen to Paul. Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Oh, Reading from verse, verse, verse 8. Paul speaking. Yet indeed I also count all things for, for loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. This is Paul. Paul had won cities. Paul had raised the dead. Paul had demonstrations of signs and wonders and all of that kind of stuff. But yet Paul says, I count it all but down. I count it all but lost because I want the excellency, that intimacy with the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things. And I count them all but rubbish. And we say even the things that were gained to me. Why? That I may gain Christ. He says there's something more than the signs and the wonders and the revelations and the insights and the mysteries and all of these stuff that have been unveiled unto me. And, 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 even, the, and even some of the, the um, even some of the even some of the, not, not just the intimacy, even some of the, uh, the, the experiences that he had, the encounters you know what it is to encounter God? Go on the backside of the desert and God and Jesus appear to you and tell you, hey, this is what communion is all about. This is what the mystery is. But he says, all of that I count but lost because I want to win Christ. There is something greater. I want to win Christ. That I might win Christ. Who is my inheritance? Who is my portion that God himself would be mine. But now you see, he's saying, I want all of him. But you see, here is the deal. That's why I said it's a reward. You cannot have all of him without him having all of you. That's called total surrender. So it goes on to say, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Being made conformable to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained. Or that I'm already perfected. This is Paul, you know. But I'm pressing. I'm pressing on. That I might lay a hold Lay a hold, lay a hold of what? That for which Christ Jesus has laid a hold on me. Well, why did Christ lay a hold of you? Why did Christ lay a hold of me? That you might become the very expression of him. That you would become almost like a spectacle, a spectacle. <laughs> Isaiah 8 verse 18 says that we, me, me, that the children, that we would be for signs and wonders. So God laid a hold of us for that reason. So brethren, 
I don't count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet, Paul says. But there is this one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind. I'm not going to even look back at what I've accomplished lest it slow me down. And I'm just reaching forward to those things that are ahead. I want to get a hold of that for which God has gotten a hold of me. And I'm pressing, pressing towards what? The goal. What is the goal? For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. That goal is to be totally as he is. To be the tree of righteousness. And what is the prize? What is the reward? Can we say reward now? <laughs> Amen. What is the reward? Is to have this take over presence of God. This Shekinah glory. The glory of the Lord being risen upon you. This is actually the manifested presence. The Shekinah glory of God. Now. Five keys to activate this presence. Five keys and this is where we went through all of this to get here. Right? You know what to do with the first three. Develop that, in, 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 in that, in that, that consciousness of his indwelling presence. Get baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost and pray much in tongues. Spend time in prayer and, and, and engage the presence of God and so on. But what does it take to get a hold of this, this, this glory, this, this, this God taking over? Now, before I mention these five keys, take a hold of this fact. The fact of the matter is when you look, even at the kind of glory, and you go through the, the word of God, and you go through Exodus, for instance, where God had said to, to, to Moses, this is how I want you to build the tabernacle. These are the specifications. I need you to do it exactly this way, exactly these measurements, exactly, exactly, exactly. And when they built it, and it was all done, and it was all finished, Exodus 20. 40 verse 34, when it was, everything was in place, then what? The glory of the Lord came like a cloud and it covered it. We see it happen again in Chronicles with, with, um, with, with what's his name? Solomon, all right? But, but it was, an, in other words, there was exact, precise things that needed to be done. Well, so it is for us. There are some specifics, and this is what we're going to share right now, okay? Five keys to activate that Shekinah glory, that takeover presence of God. Say takeover presence. All right? Number one, you must develop a love and a passion for God. You must develop a love and a passion for God. I mean really love God. Now, I didn't say anything happened overnight. You got to grow in these things. Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus says, You shall love the Lord thy God with what? All of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength, all of your might, all of your resources, everything you got. You must love God more than anything else, even your own self. Say own self. All right. And let me mention why I mentioned the word self. In all five of these um, keys to activate and get that, that takeover presence of God, in all five of them that I'm going to be sharing now, Every one of them has this thread in it. Death. Until you die, you can't have him. In other words then, living men, he is the, the Shekinah, the glory, the, 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 the weighty part of God. A man he got to be dead before God can trust him 
with himself to that degree. So in all five elements, you're going to find the element of death. So here we have loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might, with all your means. Loving everything, nothing more than him, even your own self. Concerning the love of God in another place, it will say, um, um, no greater love has any man than this, but that he would what? Lay down what? His what? His life. Does that sound like death? I mean, not talking about physical death, but what I mean with self has no voice. All right, in John 14, 23, Jesus speaking, if any man love me, he will keep my word. And what will happen? My father will love him. And we, and we will come to him. And we are going to make our home, the Amplified says, our special dwelling place with him. First Corinthians 2 verse 9, if a man, it says, um, I has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Amen? So then, in other words then, the first dimension has to do with loving God in a deep and a passionate manner. Number two, it is, a, it is um, the, 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 the next key to this over. Take over presence of God is you have to have a desire to please God. In other words, then, there's a deep motivation to obey God. Now, I'll tell you right now, if you consider the word obedience, in the middle of the word obedience is die, and in the middle of die is I. All right? So it all has death in it. Jesus said in John 8, 29, total obedience, desiring to please God. Jesus said in John 8, 29, and he who sent me is with me. That's the presence. The Father. And he has not left me alone. Why? Because I always do those things that please him. And in John 14, 21, he who has my commandment and keeps them obedience, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and what? Manifest myself to him. Presence. So, you literally have said, I want to obey God. I want, I want my life to give God joy. I want to give him joy. Which means, I don't want to be in that place where God looks at me and God says, these people worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You don't want that. Are you with me? All right. Number three, in terms of the third key to activate this Shekinah glory, this overtaking, takeover presence of God, and it is having an intense prayer Prayer life, having times of intense prayer, worship, and fasting. Psalm 63. It says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Thirst for you? What do you mean thirst for me? You're talking about, Lord, Lord, I got a laundry list. I got to come and I make, my, I make my petitions. No, 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 no. My, my soul thirsts for you. Lord, I desire you. Lord, I want to come fellowship with you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and a thirsty land where there is no water. So I have longed for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. And you could keep on reading. 
We're talking about an intense desire of prayer and worship as well. Worship as well. Seeking God. Hallelujah. Now, remember Paul and Silas? They were, they were in jail. They were bound with chains and everything else. The scripture says at midnight, they begin to what? They begin to pray and they begin to sing and the other prisoners heard them. They didn't just pray alone, but they pray and they begin to worship God. And what happened? The scripture says that the building, the jail, will begin to shake. It had an earthquake and all the prisoners' chains fell off. Why did it shake? Well, if you go look at the Psalms, oh, the voice of the Lord thunders and so on. That's because God himself showed up because of prayer and that, prayer and that worship. Peter had a similar situation. Peter was in jail and they prayed for Peter. There wasn't a worship element. But then what happened? Peter got delivered, but the angel let him out. It wasn't God himself that showed up. What is the point? The point I'm making here is this. There's this third principle or key to that Shekinah glory that, 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 that take over presence of God, and it is, a, it is intense um, periods of praying, fasting, and worshiping God. Stopping everything and just walking the floor and worshiping God and blessing the Lord. Hallelujah. And you know, I'll tell you something again, since I'm making this connection, that in all of it, there is self, self, self is not there. Self is not there. Because you see, when you begin to worship God, and when you begin to, 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 um, to worship God and pray and seek God in that manner, Philippians 3 verse 3 says, we are the, we are the generation, no. We are the circumcision that worship God in spirit, in spirit, and we have no confidence in what? The flesh. God seeks such to worship him in spirit and in truth. Flesh is gone, dead. So even in this arena, we see what? We see the issue of death. All right. Number four, the four key. Hallelujah. And you see, God inhabits, this says, the scripture says, he inhabits the praises of his people. Praise and worship and prayer creates an atmosphere where God can move in. Amen? Anyway, number four. And it's walking in humility. Now, there we go. There we go again. The essence of humility is no self. I can't of myself do nothing. There's nothing I have that I did not receive. Lord, I'm totally dependent on you. I'm not no self-made man. <laughs> All right? Because you see, on the other hand, pride is that state of, of self-sufficiency. Where, 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 where whatever results I get, it is because of me and it's because of my effort and it's because I did it. And so the credit comes to me. Humility says, no, no, God, I can't do it without you. I don't want to do it without you. I, without you, that's it, I'm bankrupt. So, this, so it says in Psalms 34, God says, a broken and a contrite heart, he will not do without. And then it says in Isaiah 57 and verse 15, God says, it's a, it says, where is the place that you built for me? Where is the place of my rest? And then he says, thus say the high and lofty one, to this man will I look. The one that is of a broken and of a contrite heart and of a humble spirit that I'm going to revive the heart of the humble one. And then in Isaiah 66 verse 2, similarly. Amen? And then number five, so the issue of humility. God resists the proud, but he does what? He gives grace to the humble. 
right? The proud he knows afar off, but the humble he knows up close. Presence, say presence. In other words, if, you don't, if humility is not there, you can forget about it. Yes, you could walk with the indwelling presence, but, but, but there's, you know, yes, you can pray in tongues, yes, you can have that, but that, you're not going to get to this place. And God wants us to get there. Say, I want to get there. And then number five, sacrifice as a lifestyle. Sacrifice as a lifestyle. The scripture says in um, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, present your body. He says that Paul says, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Present your body, your body, your body. And quite frankly, if you expand it and you go to Romans 6 verse 13, Romans 6 verse 19, you will see it's talking about all of your faculties. Amen? And then when it comes to sacrifice, there are various elements of sacrifice. Obviously, finances, that's part of the sacrifice. Giving everything you got. Amen? Everything. Whatever, there's nothing that, whatever you ask of me, Lord, you can have it. Whatever you want, you can have it. So, I'm going to conclude it this way. So here is the whole, this is the overall picture. There are four dimensions of God's presence. And as we understand them and take the necessary steps to develop in each of them, then we will experience more of it. Number one, his presence because you are born again, his indwelling presence. So you must develop that consciousness. Number two, his presence that has come to empower you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so that you are empowered to be his witness. Number three, his presence that is as a result of of, of, of the fellowship that you engage with God in the realm of prayer. And then number four, the presence of God himself clothing you with himself. This your kind of glory. Now, understand this. God loves you. Does he love you? There's no doubt about it. But because God loves you, doesn't mean that his presence, especially that your kind of glory, is cheap. Like I said, he might be in the house, but there might be places in the house that you might not let him go. So it takes to be a surrender all. It requires death on your part. It is only dead men that can carry the weighty presence of the glory of God, that he can even trust with his presence. So before God released, just like when he did it, when the tabernacle was built, when everything was in order, then the glory showed up. So in other words, then the, the, the measures of the glory of God that is going to show up in your life and my life, God has to vet and check it out first. He got to vet you and see, is there the love of God? Is there love? Is there passion? Do they really love me? What is their passion? Will they break the alabaster ointment, so to speak? What is there? You got to vet your obedience. Is it obedience an issue of convenience? He got to vet, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? How much do you desire him? Are you humble? Or is it just, or, 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 I, I, I mean, there's various dimensions of that. Sacrifice. In other words, then, before there is a reward, is have you paid the price? 
And then if you do, the reward is he himself. Man, that's more than a hundredfold, wouldn't you say? 